You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, trick-or-treat is coming up in about a month, and kids across the country will go door-to-door collecting candy. But at what age are you too old to trick-or-treat? You may think it varies from person to person, but some cities have taken matters into their own hands. If you've thought about buying or selling a house anytime recently, you're well aware that the real estate market is kind of nuts. But it's not just the housing side that's crazy. This week, the strangely expensive world of cemetery real estate. When you watch a movie or TV show with a character who is a teenager... There's a pretty good chance that the person playing the role is actually in their mid-20s. So why doesn't Hollywood cast teenagers to play teenagers? We'll explore the complicated layers behind it. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Today, right around the Halloween season, one of my favorite questions to ask people, because I think you can just, you get such a different answer from so many different people. And I think you get such a passionate answer from a lot of people that it always ends up turning into a good conversation is how old is too old to trick or treat? So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, how old is too old to trick or treat? Well, so in my mind, it's always been 12. 12 feels like the, uh, the age that you should probably hang it up. Uh, for me, it was the last year that I went trick-or-treating. But it wasn't just that I was 12 and went trick-or-treating that made me go, ah, I think it's time. It was also what I dressed up as. So uh, my friend's mom, for years, my friend's mom would make our Halloween costumes. And, and he and I would actually go as the same thing. Like you didn't try to... Pair the costume. <laughs> no, no, like one know, year, just one year we were costume. both. One year we were both Marvin the Martian, for example, which was a great <laughs> costume that she created. But when I was twelve, he was a year younger. He was eleven. We went as homemade Pikachu's, the Pokemon. So you know, I'm I'm in sixth grade, heading into seventh. I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to impress girls, and I'm a homemade <laughs> Pikachu. I had such shame. I just, I knew it was over. It's done. It's just, you looked in the this mirror and it. you knew it was time. You know, you <laughs> knew that you'd reached a moment. The girl I was kind of into, like she was passing out candy. And <laughs> she's <laughs> and like, oh, so well, that's, uh, she, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. She had to put some candy in my bucket <laughs> and I'm dressed up as Pikachu. Yeah, obviously that didn't work out. I, I teach freshmen who are usually around the age of 14 whenever I get them, and I always ask them this question because I just want to ridicule the kids who say that they're going trick-or-treating at age 14. Like I'm like, you're in high school. Like, Come on, you should not be out trick-or-treating. And uh, it's like the first time a lot of them realize that they're not really like a little kid anymore. <laughs> like they're like, So it's like you, you kind of ruin their childhood a little bit. <laughs> you, you speed it up. <laughs> well, Dave, we're going to investigate this question. How old is too old to trick or treat? And some places around the United States actually have taken legal action to set an age rather than just relying on social norms to decide who gets to trick or treat or not. Now, it's important to note that the majority of kids will stop trick-or-treating by themselves between the ages of 12 and 16, but that is a lot of gray area. As any parent or teacher will tell you, there is a major 
major difference between a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old and at all those ages in between. But in Chesapeake, Virginia, for nearly five decades, the town actually had an official ordinance setting the ceiling of trick-or-treating at 12 years old. Anyone trick-or-treating over that age could actually face a fine of $100 or six months in jail. (laughs) Stop. And while we should note that there is actually no record of anyone having to face the consequences for trick-or-treating too old, this does raise the question of how old is too old to be trick-or-treating. The problem with this question is that it sort of depends on who you are and who you ask. In Chesapeake, the ordinance actually was passed after an incident in which teenagers planted fireworks in trick-or-treat bags that caused some minor injuries, but this was back in 1968. In Belleville, Illinois, a similar ordinance was passed in 2008 after senior citizens became nervous when large groups of teenagers knocked on their doors at night. The mayor at the time, Mark Eckert, told Slate in 2019, we had a few situations in those years where seniors had called the police because they felt very threatened by a large number of kids who were on their porch and getting very aggressive in some cases. They seemed like they felt like they were going to force their way into the home. Now, as you would imagine, though, Dave, these ordinances are pretty controversial. An arbitrary cutoff year may ignore a kid just wanting to experience being a kid. People who are against the ordinances point out that trick-or-treating is a part of childhood, and it's one of the last rights of being a kid before moving on to the weight of adulthood. Now, while most people sort of find a middle ground here, though, and ignore the rule or just simply turn off their porch light if they don't want to deal with it, there is still the legal question of can a city even do this in the first place? Writing for the nonprofit law organization Pacific Legal Foundation in 2019, attorney Daniel Order argued that such ordinances, they could actually be a violation of free speech, saying the Supreme Court has repeatedly upheld the right of an individual to engage in door-to-door solicitation for a variety of causes, including expressive activity and charitable fundraising. Trick-or-treating is consistent with this tradition of expressive door-to-door activity. A trick-or-treater's costume can be a form of free speech protected against government censorship. Costumes are a way for people to express their likes and dislikes and even to comment on politics and social issues. Now, Dave, following some negative press about this ordinance, which many felt was outdated, Chesapeake actually updated the rules in 2019 by removing jail time as a potential consequence and raised the age from 12 to 14. But what I think is probably just generally not the best move here is to regulate it from a legal standpoint. Maybe we could just, I don't know, try to lighten up a little and let kids be kids for a couple more years. Speak to yourself. (laughs) Mr. I'm going to make fun of the kids in my class who still trick-or-treat. Now, that's just because you yourself very much dislike Halloween. We've talked about that multiple times. This is probably the third Halloween season we've had commute, and so every time it comes around, you you relish the fact that you can talk about how much you hate Halloween. But I would say one of my favorite memories, so this is in like my top ten favorite memories, Years ago, we went to a Halloween party for adults, so we were we were grown. I think we were out of college, and you just didn't have a costume, because that's just the kind of guy you are. You're like, I'm just going to go without a costume. I was like, well, you have to have a costume, <laughs> and so we found a costume for you that you were forced to wear, and thankfully, there are photos of this that still exist. The costume was an over-easy egg. So that's in your top 10 memories. You know, you've had two children. You've, you've been married. 
you've graduated college. You've, you know, seen your friends get married and have children. I mean, and that is in your top ten memories. Yeah, you still have four left. You only said six (laughs) good memories. Jay, what amount of thought, or lack thereof, have you put into what you'd like to happen to your body? Not your soul. (laughs) Okay. Your body (laughs) when you leave this earth. Now, hopefully this is in like 60, 70, 80 years from now. Like, have you thought where you'd like to be buried? Or maybe perhaps you'd prefer to be cremated? Or maybe you'd like your body to be donated to science for some unknown future experiment? So you just told a whole story where I procrastinated on picking out a Halloween costume until the night before Halloween. And that's just kind of a pattern with me. So... When you're thinking that far down the line, like, no, I haven't gotten that far. I'm not very good at thinking ahead. It's definitely not a strong suit of mine. I'm very much a, this is a later version of me's problem. Yeah, well, I'm actually, I'm with you on this. Admittedly, I haven't spent much time thinking about it. But Jay, while I don't think about what happens to my body very often when I'm gone, I do actually think about cemeteries quite often. I do this, Jay, because I'm a runner, as you know, and the course I run on near my house has a couple of laps that go around the local cemetery. And you see, the interesting thing about cemeteries, and really about our wishes for ourselves or our loved ones when we die, is that beyond representing a place we can visit to spend time with the memories of those who have died, cemeteries are a unique and expensive sector of the real estate market. Buying a cemetery plot, Jay, is quite often a lot like buying a house. You shop around, you look for your preferred location, and then ultimately pay money for the right to have a small piece of land that represents your final resting place. And Jay, depending on where that piece of land is, you may be forking over a lot of money. According to the financial planning company Choice Mutual, cemetery plots cost about $3,500 on average. But that price varies widely depending on where you live and where you want to be buried. Some plots still go for just a couple hundred dollars. And some plots, like a few that were recently available close to Marilyn Monroe's final resting place in New York, go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And some even come with their own private gated entrance and a tombstone the size of an interstate billboard. And Jay, the price tag on those millions of dollars. The reality is this, death is big business. And there's a reason that one cemetery in Michigan successfully uses the tagline, forget buying stocks, invest in cemetery plots. Cemetery (laughs) plots are only going up in price and down in availability. Current demographic trends mean that many young adults will somewhat soon be burying their parents Baby boomers born in the 1940s are nearing 80 years old, and there's only so many burial spots to go around. And while we may live forever one day, we sure don't live forever now. And beyond buying the spot that your bones will lay in for eternity, the expenses don't just stop at buying the burial spot. There are hidden costs as well. Bills for things like opening up the ground to bury you and then closing the ground back up after you're buried. Also, getting a grave liner to go outside of the casket, that's usually a non-negotiable. That's another pricey death-related purchase. 
And often, Jay, in the way that a New York resident with a small apartment may be forced to turn a dining room into a bedroom, many cemeteries have taken to stacking caskets, meaning almost a two-for-one deal with a husband-and-wife plot coming with a stacking casket plan instead of two plots right beside each other like we traditionally think. This approach may have stretched out the number of available cemetery plots, but it's still an industry that has inevitable space issues. According to the New York Times, Greenwood Cemetery in New York thought it would run out of space in 2010. But due to stacking and a recent expansion that involved destroying a roadway, the end date is now decades away, according to their VP of Operations, sometime in 2050. But still, a more affordable option does exist. Cremations which cost about $1,000 on average. And even cheaper would be to just dump the body, (laughs) which I fully give my family permission to do. Just drive out in the (laughs) woods and dump me. Now, they should make sure that I didn't die under suspicious circumstances first, though. But come on, just save yourself a few bucks. You and I got into the wrong business is what it sounds like to me. We should have had a funeral home. That's really what should have happened here. Well, not a funeral home. We should have just bought a big piece of land. I know. Yeah, what are we doing? Bury their friends there. <laughs> <laughs> this, this podcast is free financial advice. So, Dave, growing up, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the kind of kid who always looked a lot older than you really were, right? That's true. And do you feel like this affected you at all growing up? I mean, did it help you dominate in basketball or something? I mean, you were just kind of, you were just sort of ahead of everybody else, it seems like. Yeah, I I didn't only look older, I was older. So I have a (laughs) September birthday, as we've talked about. And so I was, I always turned a year older than everybody. So like my senior year of high school, I was 18 at the beginning of the year. So when I was little... Um, sixth grade, when I turned 12, the last year I trick-or-treated, by the way, um, I was <laughs> six Pikachu. feet tall. I was six feet tall. I'm six feet tall now. I haven't grown <laughs> since. So I was a giant. I was massive. I dominated at everything. Nobody could stop me. And then everybody else kept growing, and I stopped. Well, Dave, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, teenagers on screen and a, t- a little bit about Hollywood and casting people to play teenagers. Now, Dave, Hollywood routinely casts older actors to play high school-aged kids in movies and TV shows. And there are some hilarious examples of this. So let's run down a few of the biggest gaps ever in TV and film of an actor playing someone of a certain age and their actual age. In the 2005 film Clueless, Stacey Dash plays a 17-year-old character while she is 28 years old. Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's was supposed to be 19 in the film, but was actually 31 at the time of filming. Now, Paul Rudd, who famously looks younger than he really is, played a 17-year-old in Wet Hot American Summer while he was 31. Gabrielle Union played a 16-year-old character in the 1999 romantic comedy 10 Things I Hate About You while she was 27. 
Spider-Man Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire played the role of Peter Parker, who is supposed to be around 17 years old, both while they were 27. Rachel McAdams was 26 when she portrayed the 16-year-old Regina George in 2004's Mean Girls. Stockard Channing famously portrayed Rizzo in Grease at 33 years old, when the character's meant to be 18. But the largest age gap that I could find is Shirley Henderson, a Scottish actress who played a teenage ghost moaning Myrtle in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, who is meant to be 14 years old in that role, but was 37 at the time of filming. (laughs) So why can't Hollywood cast... And may I add is unbelievably <laughs> annoying. As somebody who likes those movies, I really like do. almost 40. She's un- almost 40. She's unbearably <laughs> annoying. And I'm sorry, she might listen to this podcast and I'm sorry if she does and I hope you continue to listen. I can't take it. I fast forward to the scenes. She's awful. So Dave, why can't Hollywood cast teenagers as teenagers? One of the biggest reasons here are work restriction laws. Teenagers are not legally adults, so there are limitations on how long they can work in a single day. In California, minors are not allowed to work for more than five consecutive days. Education laws often require minors from state to state to complete schooling requirements. And insurance is also an issue here, too. If the role requires stunts or physical work, the actor needs to be insured in case of injury. And since minors are much more expensive to insure, this does become a cost issue. Another factor here, too, is audience appeal. Any project with teenagers in the main roles will appeal naturally to a younger audience. By casting an older actor with a larger demographic appeal, studios can get a little more exposure for a project from a wider range of people. The elephant in the room here, too, is the question of romantic plot lines revolving around age. For example, you wouldn't want a teenage actor and a mid-20s actor enacting a romantic scene for a film. And in fact, you could be breaking the law by doing that. So it only makes sense to avoid the issue entirely and just cast around the same age. Contracts for minors are also famously tricky, with several states having layers of complicated laws about how much money has to be paid directly to the minor and when they can access that money, and how much money goes to the control of the parent or guardian. Contracts for those over 18 are just much simpler to draw up across states. So the key here for Hollywood is to try to walk that line to create as little overall conflict as possible. Find someone talented who is an adult, but maybe looks a little younger, cast them as a teenager, and then throw it to your costume designer and makeup artist to do the rest. That way you avoid the child labor laws and red tape to make your project. So this <laughs> this isn't necessarily a real actor. This is a cartoon actor. But... uh I'm sure when you were a kid, you watched Rugrats, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're, just, we're just of that age. Yeah. Well, Rugrats is on Netflix, and so my son uh, has been watching Rugrats. He's almost four, and he's just kind of into it. And I saw a meme the other day that really hurt, because as watching, which, by the way, Rugrats is pretty funny. It's, uh, it's, it's got some like humor for adults, so it's, it's pretty good. Okay. But the, the, the parents in Rugrats, they just seem old and run down, and like the dad, like Stu, his dad, Tommy's dad, the main character, he's got like this stubble, and it's not like cool stubble, it's like exhausted stuff. <laughs> and, and I saw a meme that said, uh, do you, does this make you feel old? The parents in Rugrats are supposed to be in their lower 30s. <laughs> I mean, I guess that makes sense. They have babies. 
it just it was really painful because they seem so old. I remember when I was little thinking they're so old, and even now they look old. But they do have babies, so they're probably even younger than that. Yeah, I think I saw a <laughs> screenshot of um, the other day of like all of the dads from Rugrats, like in the pool. Like it was like a picture of like the four dads of the kids in the pool, and then there was a bes- it was beside a picture of the kids, and it said, "One day you and your friends go from looking like this to looking like this," and it's just the dads in the pool. And I was like, "Man, all my friends do look exactly like that." <laughs> like I can attribute <laughs> each person that I'm close to to one of those people in the pool. <laughs> Well, hopefully there was one that was ripped with a six pack that made me that made you think of me. <laughs> no, I'll send it to you later and tell you which one is you. I'll, I'll circle them. Is, uh, <laughs> you're not going to be pleased. Is, uh, <laughs> is, is the spoiler alert? And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Let me just add, because I, I just got to say to you, you know I dislike cemeteries. Yeah. Because. I mean, most people are, probably Well, but I dislike, like them. For, I dislike them for a, a unique reason. Our old house, so where we used to live before the one now, I used to walk our dog Ralph there all the time. And oh, here we go. Now, now this is this is. <laughs> I will admit this is my fault because I couldn't stop him. I'm walking him over there one day, and there's a funeral going on. I didn't know it was a small funeral. Yeah, at and a Ralph cemetery. Just, funeral at a it, cemetery. Well, so I didn't know that one was going. I didn't surprised. see him. I didn't see him. <laughs> Ralph starts peeing on a gravestone. Yeah, like I could, and I, I couldn't stop him because Ralph's big, you know. <laughs> and and everyone in the funeral looks at me, and I, I just shrug. Like, did. what do you want? You know, I was like, what do you want me to do? I know this is disrespectful. You think, do you think you're a victim? <laughs> and, they, and I kid you not, a week later, there were permanent signs up at the cemetery that said "No dog walking." In They're the still there because I, I live still close there. to that cemetery. You've since moved, but I still live <laughs> close to that cemetery, and they are still there. So. <laughs> <laughs>